Hello, and welcome to Landy's Taiwan Diaries. My name is Salia Landman, but most people just call me Landy. Oh, it feels like a really long time since I last talked to you, but actually it's just two weeks. And uh, we are glad that you joined us again for today's episode. Uh, well, the main thing that happened since the last time we talked is the local elections. They were held uh, last weekend on Saturday. And the results, that's what we want to talk to you about. Even if you're not so interested in politics, or if you don't, maybe some of our foreign listeners won't even know that there was an election. So we thought we will just uh, talk a little bit about that and give you some ideas what happened and what we think about this. First of all, these local elections. Now, we've talked about this some episodes ago. These local elections are for like the mayors of the cities and also the, the councillors for the city council and some some other county commissioners and what have you and some neighborhood chiefs and all that. And then there was also a referendum. We'll talk about that later. So once the all was said and done and the election was over, the ruling party, which is called the DPP, did not do so well. They only basically held on to two big cities, whereas the, the official opposition, the KMT, kind of better as expected. They uh, took Taipei back and they made some other gains. And of course, immediately after that, people started discussing this result. Oh, by the way, also one of the new parties that was formed not too long ago actually took one of the big cities as well, as the mayor won there. Their candidate for mayor won there. So right after this, results became clear, became clear that the ruling party did not do so well and the opposition did very well. People went ballistic and they started speculating, well, what is going to happen in 2024 when there's a presidential election? The truth is, these local elections have absolutely nothing to do with national elections. People in local elections, they don't care what the tax rate is, is or uh, what is Taiwan's stance against China or whatever, or foreign affairs uh, policies. They don't care. This is local elections. They care about, are my streets clean? Are the buses running on time? And then for the, for the, like, the neighborhood chief, will the guy listen to me if I have a problem? And the thing is, the fact is that the, the, the KMT, the official opposition who did so well, they are very well organized at the roots level. So it is kind of to be expected that they will do well in local elections. But it does not mean that they are going to win the presidential election in 2024. Not at all. Many foreign media outlets will let you, will let you know that this is what's going to happen. It is not what's going to happen. This is no indication of what's going to happen in 2024. And then right after the, the bad results, the president, Tsai Ing-wen, who is also the chairperson of the DPP, the ruling party, she resigned. And the next moment I was overwhelmed with messages from uh, people abroad saying, oh my goodness, your president has resigned. What is going on there? See, people are very uh, misinformed. No, the president did not resign. She just resigned as chairperson to take responsibility for the bad results under her reign, so to speak. So she's still the president and uh, she will remain the president until uh, the next election, I believe it's January 2024. What people did do is start speculating 
who might be candidates in that presidential election. But that's too far away now for us to worry about. We will talk about that again and we will we'll tell you what we think. We don't really have a, a, a strong opinion about why the ruling party did so below average and the Kuomintang did better than expected. We don't really have an idea, but I did see in the news the a former vice president, many years ago, she was the vice president, she's also from the ruling party. She said, you know, people like to blame somebody, right? So she said that um, she has four main points why she thinks the party did badly. And I just quickly looked at them, but there was one point that I, I kind of liked that she mentioned that, and that is about uh, how the government handled COVID. Now, the COVID situation, the, the, the restrictions and all that, it doesn't matter if that comes from the local government or the city government, all the people feel it. So it could be true that people were not happy. What she said is that in, in the beginning, Taiwan was fairly safe. But in spite of the fact that Taiwan had virtually no cases, there were restrictions were already put into place. And the restrictions got stricter and stricter, even though there was never, never a massive outbreak in Taiwan like in the rest of the world. Many people lost their livelihoods because uh, businesses were closed, schools were closed. And uh, uh, she said people might not have liked that and wanted to show the government that uh, they did not like uh, when they couldn't uh, do business and they lost their income. So that was an interesting. I was kind of surprised that uh, somebody from the same party would say these things because you expect the opposition to now be boastful and uh, and kind of blame everything on the government, right? So that was interesting. But anyway, be that as it may, the election is over, and uh, those are the results. New mayors here and there. And another thing uh, that people also said is that uh, the in Taiwan people like to vote for the incumbent. So if you are a mayor of this city and uh, you stand for another term, most likely, not always, but most likely you will be elected again. And many of the cities, the opposition, the KMT, they already had somebody who ran for one term. So their re-election was kind of a given, you know. So some people also said, so that's not so terrible for the ruling party. Okay. So the other thing that we wanted to mention was the referendum. Remember? Or you might not remember. <laughs> there was a referendum where they wanted to lower the voting age to 18, from 20 to 18. And we, we also mentioned that it was going to be very, very hard to get it passed because you needed, a, I think it was around 10 million votes, to almost 10 million votes to, to pass this referendum. And uh, in the end, it didn't pass. And I was actually quite surprised by this result. Not only it didn't pass because it, uh, because what I thought is that people who are really interested in this, people will vote yes, but they will not be, they will not reach the, the limit of virtually 10 million, right? But in the end, it was almost 50-50. Like around 5 million voted yes and around 5 million voted no. I was shocked. Why would uh, people not vote yes to lower the voting age where in the rest of the world, most countries already, the voting age is 18. And uh, that was just uh, because I, I checked with my students in my classes and uh, all of them said, not one single one said they voted no. They all said they voted yes. I found one or two ones who said they, they're just going to vote in the election. They're not going to vote in the referendum. So they, they didn't vote, but they didn't vote no. But in the end, the, the no's were almost half. I mean, it was... In the end, there were almost as many no votes as yes votes, which um, some of uh, 
the local people pointed out to me, that shows you it's not that easy to be a young person in a conservative society where people who are uh, over 30 or over 40, it gets worse as they get older, really don't think that young people have enough responsibility and uh, self-control to be able to be allowed to vote. So the referendum didn't pass and it'll be many years, I believe, before there'll be another try to lower the voting age. But I was a little bit shocked that it was uh, around 50-50. Okay, so that's the the political story for this week. I wanted to just uh, finish off telling you a little bit about a personal experience I had over the last few weeks. I had uh, I had to go to the hospital for an operation, a knee operation. And uh, I've never actually stayed in a hospital before. I've had quite a few operations. I remember when I was younger, I had a knee, uh, a knee operation on my other knee. And then here in Taiwan, I've had a few skin grafts and, and, and some minor skin surgeries, but I've never had to stay in the hospital for a night or more. So this time, my operation was scheduled for, it was a, a few weeks ago, a Tuesday afternoon. I had to go in Monday afternoon. First, I didn't know why I must go in so early, but there's all kinds of tests and stuff that you have to do. So finally, I'm now in my room. Oh, by the way, interestingly enough, when you check in, it's much more difficult to check into a hospital than check into a hotel, I can tell you that. <laughs> and about half the time at the check-in desk, I had to answer questions about COVID. <laughs> Have I had it? Have I been in contact with anybody? So the hospitals are still very worried about that. Uh, and, and, and this is so strange, you know, in the, in the hospitals. Before I went in, I had to take a test to show that I'm negative. And if anybody wanted to visit me, they also have to show that they are negative. But the hospital has many outpatients. The outpatients can come and go as they please. <laughs> they don't have to show a negative test. But if you actually go to into the hospital itself, you have to show a negative test. So I'm not sure how that works. But anyway, so I did it. I was checked in. There I was in the room. And uh, as, as you know, hospitals are not that, it's not a cheap place to go. Then I, basically the reason why I'm telling you this is I want to tell our foreign listeners a little bit what the differences are between being in a hospital in Taiwan and being in a hospital in uh, maybe South Africa or America. In, in South Africa, if you go to a hospital, you're only allowed visitors at certain times. There's visiting time, say from, from uh, 4 to 6 in the afternoon or something like that. Now, in Taiwan at the moment, there's no visiting allowed because of COVID still. But the interesting thing is, in a foreign hospital, if you have a problem of some sorts, you call the nurse. And the nurse will, maybe you need some help to get to the bathroom or whatever, I don't know. You call the nurse. Not in Taiwan. The nurses don't do that. If you go to the hospital and you think you might need help, you must bring your own helper. And your own helper will sleep in the same room as you on a little bed. Right next to the bed, there's a kind of, it looks like a funny chair, but it can actually change into a small bed. So I was in this room. Next to me was a, a, an uncle. I say an old uncle. He's about my age. And uh, his wife was there with him. And she slept there on the little on this little bed. And, you know, at night it was not easy because both of them snored unbelievably loudly. So I didn't sleep much at night. And I had to stay for two nights. It was, it was not a pleasant situation. But, but it was just interesting that uh, you have to basically supply your own helper to assist you. And it's, it is also, uh, in the Western countries, when it's mealtime, the hospital will provide you with food, but not here. Here you must bring your own food. You can order food from the hospital kitchen, but that must be done in advance. It's not like a given, you know, like you, like on a plane. 
when it's when it's meal time everybody gets a meal no you must provide your own uh, food you must bring it with you or your helper must go out and buy it for you or whatever so that's something that i think our foreign listeners will find interesting that you basically you have to have somebody with you all the time if you cannot manage alone people at the at the front desk was actually kind of shocked when i checked in alone actually the the paper said that you have to check in with somebody i've been known to be a rebel i just check in by myself i remember once when i had the the the, the uh, a big skin graft here on my nose once the operation was done the doctor said uh, do you have somebody to meet you and take you home i said well not somebody but something my bicycle is outside i will cycle home thank you so i'm kind of used to 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 doing that but anyway in the end the operation went well i'm at the moment as we record this i'm still walking around on crutches it's a pain it's very hard work to walk around the crutches because i can't put any weight on my left foot this knee has to now regrow the cartilage and if i step on it it will destroy the the new baby cartilage so to speak so uh, but in the end it went well and uh we'll have, we'll have a checkup with a doctor in the future but anyway, that's my experience of a, a Taiwan hospital. Very professional, might I add. But it's just that the... Yeah, another thing about a hospital. <laughs> I wanted to finish there, but I just want to share this with you. Hospitals are weird, you know. The nurses will wake you up to ask you if you sleep well. <laughs> it's just the strangest thing, you know. They are forever busy. You, you, you're almost not allowed to sleep peacefully. They will always think of something to bother you. But anyway... In the end, I survived excursion to the hospital and I, I made it safely back and I am busy recovering. All right, that is the end of today's episode. We hope you enjoyed it and until we talk again, goodbye. <music>